episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. Special holiday edition. What's good, Nithin? What's up, man? Listen, the the NBA and the sports world has continued to be engulfed by uh, Omicron and the, and the COVID kind of pandemic that never ends. I got to say, out of solidarity for my NBA brethren as a fellow player, I've also entered, unfortunately, the health and safety protocols. Um, you know, we talked about this last week, targeting vaccinated, boosted populations at a much higher rate than previous variants. I am no different. I'm, I'm not special. I wasn't able to get through this. So here we are hunkered down for a very uh, solitude Christmas um, here in Chicago. Yeah, man. I mean, you couldn't let you couldn't just let it be the NBA players. You had to, you know, that, that's how seriously we take this pod. You know, we want to get <laughs> in the the shoes of the players, really feel like what it's what it's like to be them. And uh, you're like half the NBA right now. So over six years ago, this is why I tore my ACL. Um, <laughs> that was kind of the first part of the journey to truly understand what the plight of an NBA player was. And now getting COVID um, right as the holidays roll around is part two. But it's yeah, weird. believe me, I know more about that ACL than I ever wanted to know before <laughs> I even met you. So <laughs> it's weird that um, I was symptomatic, but it's possible that I got exposed kind of right when I got my booster. So you could argue maybe it hadn't kicked in. But I will say, I think one of the things you realize is the symptoms like subsided within 48 hours. And I think that's kind of the point. Um, you know, I started with something that felt more like uh, almost like bronchitis in a way. And now it's just a little bit of a dry cough and that's kind of it, which is nice that it dropped all the way down. Cause I imagine if I had had it during pre-vaccine or whatever, that's a week or 10 days of feeling shitty the whole time. So that in itself, I was like, okay, this is, this is the Twitter debate all happening in one place in my body yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, glad to hear you're already starting to feel better. You know, uh, as much as we joke, it still sucks. Right. And yeah. You don't want it to happen to anyone, but it, yeah. that's, that's the state of the world right now. It feels like it's cropping up everywhere. And yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it'll be fine. It'll just be a matter of when I'm, I'm like Taylor Heineke right now, just trying to test out of protocols uh, in advance of, of game time, which for my, in my case is the flight home. So we'll see what happens. I mean, you're probably not far from getting called up by the, by the Washington football team for a quarterback spot. I mean, Gary Gilbert, I, did you see you there know, was that one clip that was floating around the internet of him like as the sack was coming, he just panics and he has this look of terror on his face as he gets yeah. hit? Was that that fourth down play at the very end of the game? I, I think so. I think yeah. so. It's like you that can't do worse than that. Man, so. I felt like all things considered, we he you know, what do, I don't know what we expected him from him, but putting up 17 points is it's not going to win you many games in the NFL, especially as a, against a team as hot as the Eagles. But I thought this game was actually lost on defense when we could not stop the run. I don't know if you got a chance yeah. to watch both games. I, last I tried time. to really, avoid watching that game, but every game in week 15 pretty much was a catastrophe, but yeah. the four games on Monday and Tuesday were specifically bad. And it was one of those things where if you just got a couple stops, you know, we got a couple of turnovers early. If we just kept that momentum going, we gave ourselves a chance, but, it's tough. The guy gets signed on Thursday. Like they, Mark Sanchez was out here, like crushing him for not having like chemistry with his receivers and throwing the ball before they broke. It's like, dude, he doesn't know when they break. He's watching TV just like you. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. So, anyway, um, 
Yeah, so let's start actually. So we talked COVID last week. We don't even have to get into the specifics, but we should talk one COVID-related fallout uh, that came about is Mr. Kyrie Irving is coming back to the NBA. So the Nets currently have so many players and protocols. Their games are getting postponed. Uh, last night against Washington, tomorrow against uh, the, the Blazers. So the Nets don't even have enough players to field a team. After all of the humming and hawing this offseason about how they were not going to allow Kyrie Irving to be a part-time player, it sounds like Joe Tsai and you know Sean Marks and Steve Nash have all caved and said, look, our only religion is winning, and he's going to help us win in a season where Kevin Durant's putting an unbelievable amount of mileage on his body. So as of now, the, the report seems to be he's going to truly be a part-time player. Um, away games, you know, being able to practice but not being able to play at home at Barclays. So what was your initial thought when you heard about that? First, from like a believability standpoint, like this was the outcome that ended up happening because you thought he was going to get vaccinated and play. I thought he was going to sit out the whole year. This is actually the one outcome none of us really predicted. So what did you think about it from that angle? And then let's get into basketball after this. Well, I, I hated the decision um, because I, I understand when you're kind of cornered and, and the Nets felt like they were cornered in this sense that they were running on fumes. They were suiting up, you know, barely enough guys every night. You can't expect KD to carry the team every night like this and expect to go deep into June. That being said, like they're the number one seed. They're fine. They can, they can kind of ride this wave of COVID and, and afford to lose a couple games. They'll get guys back. You can, you know, it, it's, I feel like they caved. And it's not a good look for the organization because they took a firm stance, right? There was no hemming and hawing. It was like, Kyrie, if he doesn't get back, he's not playing. And to go back on that in a situation where you're the one seed, so it's not even like it was really a desperation play. It, it, this is something you could have weathered. You could have ridden out. You, yes, maybe you slipped down the standings. But at the end of the day, I think they caved way too early. And And of course, Kyrie, for him, it's like, the best opportunity to gloat and you can't hold me down and this and that, like, it's just, it's like the worst possible outcome of this whole situation. Yeah. And, and the victory lap everyone wanted to take about guys like Kyrie, you know, he's now in COVID protocols because he tested positive, of course, and Cole Beasley. 15 hours now, later. Yeah. Cole Beasley is now in protocols. The victory lap we all plan to take when those that happened for those guys can't even be done because everyone else is vaccinated. Right. So the whole thing is yep. kind of spun up on its side of its head. I agree. I thought it was pretty pitiful because when they had made that decision, it wasn't like the roster was different than it is now, right? There weren't any major injuries. Yeah, Joe Harris, to some extent, you could say he's a major piece, but he's coming back. He's not gone for the year. James Harden started out pretty ineffective. He's gotten it together a little bit. Like I know he doesn't look like you know Houston Harden right now, but it's not like he looks like what he did in October. So the fact that there's this much mileage on Durant is more indicative of the roster build that they should have already been aware of when they took the stance that they did. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, Kyrie's not doing anything illegal, right? He's not doing anything criminal. Um, he, by all accounts, seems to be like a good dude in the sense of like all the things that we think about related to like, you know, community service, donations, et cetera. So it's less about that. It's more about like this is a particular stance that we took and now we're going to back out because winning is the only thing that really matters, which is all any franchise is ever really about. But I guess when they deviate from it, you want to think that there's another motive or another prerogative and it just isn't ever that case. Yeah, exactly. And look, 
I mean, the Bucks just went through this recently, right, with Antonio Brown, and it's like, oh, are they gonna actually let him go or thing? But it's like, you know what? When you're missing receivers and when they're competing for Super Bowl, you're gonna do whatever it takes. I don't care what you moral stands you took at the beginning of the season. Like when it comes mm-hmm. down to what is best for your team, teams are gonna operate in favor of what's gonna help them win games. Yep. But like I said, this and like you said, the net situation. It's not like they lost a bunch of guys for the season. It's not like this is just a short-term thing where they, they've they been fielding a, a shorter roster. They're still the one seed. So to me, the timing was weird. Like I get it if it's later on in the season and things are looking bad, but it's weird timing. And, and, and you know, if you're Kyrie, I think if you really were a martyr or you really wanted to stand up for this, this belief, you say you're not going to play the whole season unless they remove that rule. You don't even say you're going to play road games. The problem is that Kyrie doesn't have the cachet. No no player is going to have the cachet to go against government rules, right? If this was an NBA-driven rule, that's a totally different circumstance. If this is a New York City mandate, that has nothing to do with Kyrie Irving. It's well above his pay grade. It's above LeBron's pay grade, like Adam Silver's. Like that, To me, that I know you want him, above all else, to be vaccinated, and I get that, but I don't think that he can credibly do that and expect to achieve anything. Like that has nothing to do with him. Yeah. Fair. I, I, I honestly, I think that like we didn't, we wouldn't care if he didn't play where he did, which is more a question of circumstance than it is a stand he's taking because he plays there. Right. Like Bradley Beal came out during media day and said some dumb shit about the vaccine. That was all entirely wrong and isn't vaccinated and is a premier player in the league, right? Like, not to the stature of Kyrie, but he's the best player on a team that's in a major market, all of this. I'm telling you, is being pretty plugged into the DC media, it has not come up one time since really? that media day. Like, not even... They don't ask him again? No, nobody asks him. And honestly, to this point, we haven't had a COVID outbreak. We've had one positive case, I think, all year. Um, and so... Maybe if he got put into protocols, it would come up again. But realistically, all of these guys are missing about 10 days anyway. So it hasn't impacted any of the timings or anything like that. It's not like the NFL where they have like this totally set of test, different set of testing rules. Yep. Um, and so now they're starting to roll those out, of course. But I think it's just a circum- happenstance almost that Kyrie is even put into this crosshairs when there's a bu- there's at least a few other guys who are in a similar boat that just don't play for those types of fr- those locations. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the difference is Kyrie is just high, the highest profile you could be, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Of an NBA player. So, look, I'm not saying Kyrie's doing anything wrong or whatever. It's just, but I, I just hate, like, I mean, I know you hate it too. The fact that, in a way, he feels like he won. He won. He right? de- he definitely won. And the crazy thing is, he was getting paid for the road games that he was yeah. missing. That was a team decision to sit him for that. He was willing mm-hmm. to be a part-time player from day one. So the only time that he's actually missing payment-wise are the New York City games. He'll, he's getting, he, you know, he, I think he was $32 million this year, so he's making $16 million by just sitting at home. Now, what's going to be fascinating is, you know, it, it, it's almost like the, the most supercharged version of playing with a guy has load management because Kawhi Leonard, right, in his Toronto days, he I think he sat like 17, 18 games, Um that year and he was pretty much healthy for all of it he just that was his load management plan 
and they were awesome when he didn't play, and of course, awesome when he did play and won the title. But this is so unique because when it was time to ratchet it up in the playoffs, he was going to go 40 every night, and now yeah. Kyrie physically cannot play in a <laughs> crucial game three or a crucial game seven, or depending on how the seedings end up landing. So I don't even know what to think uh, just in terms of strategizing and how you game plan. So that's why I, I still, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if it's naive of me. I feel like when the playoffs come, he might get vaccinated. And I, I think the way they'll do it is the team is going to be like, look, we threw you a bone. We brought you back. You're playing. Yeah. Now it's playoff times. So we can't mess around. Like, you think KD's just going to be okay with, like, all right, Kyrie, we'll take you in the playoffs. We'll have you for game three, four, and game six, or game whatever, one, two, five seven right whatever it is like yeah how how is that conversation gonna go like i don't think a team especially when you're in the playoffs and like you can't have that afford that game to game swing of Kyrie's in Kyrie's out Kyrie's in Kyrie's out like it's just gonna throw up like mess up the flow with everything it definitely will but there's certain guys that uh that Kyrie could have as a teammate that would make this work there's probably a list of like two really it's like katie and lebron and he has one of them where KD is the ultimate kind of matchup solver. He's the ultimate like equalizer of like who the hell knows what's going on. If he steps on the court, they're going to win or they're going to have a chance to win. And I think KD has no problem leveling up when he needs to and taking a backseat when he needs to. It's one of his greatest attributes, right? He did it in Golden State where he really took a backseat just the way Steph did, but I thought he did it even more because his game isn't predicated on a ton of off-ball movement, a ton of just like quick passes like he's an iso guy at his core um and when he played in that system he played a totally different style than you see him playing in brooklyn and i know that wasn't a night-to-night change which is kind of what you're referring to it's basically how do you go from okc one night to golden state one yeah. night to brooklyn one night and i just think he's capable of it i mean even in the playoffs last year when Kyrie went down and harden went down he was like cool i'll play 48 minutes and score 50 points like it wasn't like a difficult transition for him and I think he's just going to be happy to have Kyrie on the nights that he does. And the nights that he doesn't, he still has another MVP next to him in Harden, who by then you would hope is playing back to his caliber. That well, we yeah. I mean, the question for me is not whether they can survive him not being there. Because like you said, they've got a playmaker in Harden. KD is, is going to get his no matter what. I think night to night, though, it, it, look, Harden and Katie don't get affected. How do the other guys get affected, right? When when all of yeah. a sudden you have to play with Kyrie. Um, or maybe it works to their advantage. I don't know. You could completely zag and say, look, if a team is playing Brooklyn every night, it, the lineup looks a little different. How do you game plan against that? You can't get a real, real read on any tendencies because every game it kind of switches. Yeah. To me, the so question is actually out. more from Kyrie's standpoint, who – you know, especially you remember those round one games, round two games, because the TV schedules, they drag out like hell, right? So you could be five, six days between games for those for him, right? Just between based on how the schedule plays out. And in, in the finals, it's a little bit more condensed because they have the Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday kind of routine that they like to stick to. But still, you play Sunday and then maybe the next two games are on the road. You don't play for a week. Um, yeah. And that's sorry, the next two games would be at home or something like that. And then you don't play for a week, which is which is bizarre, but, you know, I, I ironically, I actually don't worry about him in the road environments only because he's a natural-born killer on the court, and yeah. he hit, game, you know, the biggest shot in NBA history potentially in, in, on the road in a game seven. So from that standpoint, I actually think he'll be okay. 
yeah, I don't know. Like guys like Patty Mills, Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, dudes who have to fill in just the shot volume that he takes, aside from what Katie and and Harden will take over, have to get comfortable with that. And they're going to have four four or five months to figure it out before the playoffs or the big games really start. I'm I'm very interested to see how this plays out. And maybe like you said, he's like, fuck it, I'll just get the J&J like, right before <laughs> playoffs because at least that counts, right? Like, let me do that. So, yeah, but by yeah, all I accounts, mean, the rule's not changing, especially with the way Omicron's like raging through New York specifically. Yeah. I, I thought the rule would get dropped. Remember, that's always been kind of my take. But at this point, it's not happening anytime soon. No. Honestly, like from a viewership standpoint, it's going to be fascinating, right? Like I'm going to be tuning in to every Brooklyn game. I mean, not that I wouldn't anyway, but yeah. now it's like, oh, Kyrie's not in. Kyrie's in. How does that swing things? You go down 3-1. Oh, crap. You know, you don't have Kyrie for game five, but you survive game five. You get him back game six. Like it, it adds a whole new subplot to every series, which I think is going to be fascinating. The other interesting wrinkle, at least in the regular season, is how much room can this give them to manage KD's minutes? Um, not just when Kyrie plays, but sorry, not just as in next to Kyrie, right? But also when Kyrie plays, they can just sit Durant more often, potentially. You know, you play Detroit, you play some of these bottom feeders, you have two of your three guys, Durant can take a night off, which he doesn't like to do. But the problem is when they play him, they need him so badly, he ends up playing 40 minutes a game. And it's like, you know, LeBron always talks about this. He said the issue is not the minutes. The issue is getting up for the game and going through all the prep that's required to play that night. So whether I play 33 or 37 has no difference. It's whether I play anything at all is the real issue. Yeah. So they need to give Durant more nights off entirely. Um, but he, you know he won't do that. He won't. I mean, I think he's sat one game this year um, for, for load management. He's out right now, obviously, in the protocols. But that, that's the thing that I just think is going to really be interesting as we, as we move forward is how are they going to manage the minutes? How are they going to manage the rotation? And then, you know, we haven't even talked about this, but what's the reception going to be like around the country? Are people going to care? Are they going to boo? Are they going to just let it be? Um, I don't think people aren't going to care that much, to be honest. Like, who's yeah. going to boo? Like, I mean, I think opposing fans will maybe heckle, and depending on the crowd. Like, like the ACLU or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, like, a Knicks crowd and stuff will get fired up, right? Just because it's... Yeah, the Knicks will be, oh, he can't play there. But yeah, he can't, oh, sorry, he can't play there. <laughs> yeah. But, like, he's on the road against, I don't know... Washington, you think, you think nobody's gonna, gonna care. care? Like him and Beal will dap each other up at half court. <laughs> They'll be making out on the floor. Like, yeah, exactly. Just to prove a point. Um, <laughs> but honestly, dude, with the way the NBA, I think twenty five percent. That number is probably even outdated now. I think two days ago, is twenty five percent of the league had been in protocols this year already, with a ninety seven percent vaccination rate and a sixty five percent booster rate, which is. I, you know, there's a lot of talk about should they just pause the pause the league, but rightfully said by Adam Silver, that kind of doesn't do anything. Like, this is endemic. They're going to have to learn to live with it. But what we're seeing is, I don't know if you noticed, but Joe Johnson was signed today saw, uh, by the Celtics. The big, and he actually big three. Into, <laughs> he hasn't played NBA basketball in, I think, almost four years, and he actually made a basket. He made their last basket of the night, still getting buckets 21 years later, 20 years later after being drafted by the Celtics in 2001. Yeah, man. It's insane. It's, it, it's kind of a caricature. Like the whole, like is, Isaiah Thomas was signed five days ago off the street. He started for the Lakers and played 32 minutes the other night. 
It's like, what's that um, football movie, The Replacements? Yeah. Everyone has their own Keanu Reeves, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And you know what's funny? If you think about how the pandemic started, right? It only became serious when the Rudy Gobert thing happened. I mean, serious as in like it became a really... Um, yeah, kind of forget the thousands dying elsewhere it mattered it, when Rudy Gobert it got It became it. a big story when it's like the NBA shut down. It's like, oh God, like what's happening, yeah. right? The same thing kind of, I feel like with this recent outbreak across the NFL and NBA, because you're like you said, 25% and all these guys are vaccinated, boosted. It, it's like the severity of it, of Omicron is like, now it's like very apparent. Like, of course we know people who've been getting it, things like that, but to hear... How all yeah. these guys, no matter what they've done, it's just spreading like wildfire. It's terrifying. And it's funny how quickly it goes from, oh, that doesn't matter, to holy shit, that's like in my face. Like we exactly. were in New York together where the bars were so <laughs> packed, people were doing everything short of like spitting in our drinks, right? Like yeah. everything else was pretty much happening. We all came out of there unscathed. A week later, you know, we're not even doing anything. We haven't even, I haven't even been out to like a bar in Chicago in three weeks and somehow I get it, right? So yeah. that's how quickly it changed. And my, um, I guess expectation of it changed. I think within eight days, it went from being 3% of US cases to 75% of US cases, just to, wow. sh to show you the level of spread. And yeah, and I think to your point, it's like nobody paid attention. But then I was like, wait, uh, Isaiah Thomas is back in the NBA or CJ Miles <laughs> yeah. is back in the NBA? What's going on? Like, what are my, what's, what's like, the public health situation right now? Nick Stauskas is getting called up. Like, all these guys are, it's, there's a lot of funny memes about like the next guy up and it was um <laughs> and uh there was this funny there's this funny um tweet by the ESPN like NBA account and I can't remember what team but it was like some I don't know some give and go by Gorgie Dang who's somehow back in the league right now yeah. and then the comment was like man covid got these guys tweeting about Gorgie Dang we down bad right now <laughs> But I mean, Giannis is out, you know, Evan Mobley's out, James Harden, Kevin Durant, like Kyrie Irving, like they're not just small names. In the NFL, there's so many damn players I mean, that you don't even know who's on this list. Like there's not a ton of big names um, or they'll yeah, be like, spread out more more periodically. But Luca today. Oh, yeah. Luca's on the yeah. Luca's on the protocols. I could tell uh, you any player right now and you wouldn't even know if they are out or not. Like, Unless I physically watch them tonight, I'd be like, oh, maybe they yeah, tested after the it. game. Yeah, yeah, I could tell you anything. Like, I was trying to look through who was playing in today's Magic versus uh, Magic versus Hawks game, <gasps> and it is it was abysmal. And those teams like, got hit hard, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Magic no especially. Trey, no Trey Young, no Clint Capella. Um, I don't think Kevin Herter played. Like, there, it was just personnel losses all over the floor is wild. Yeah, which is, it's, so do you think the NBA, you know, a lot of people are talking about the NHL, for example, suspended the season. Yeah. Um, do you think the NBA is, is gotten to the point where they need to do something or do you just soldier on the way they've been doing and like you, you, you postpone some on. games and yeah, everything you, you else? You have to soldier games. on. You have to soldier on and I almost would stop postponing games. Like I don't really get why the Nets can't sign random guys for hardship exemptions the way all these other teams have been doing yeah. and why they just get to postpone versus having to play. I think you have to just keep signing players because what is a two-week delay going to do? Is it going to change anything about the uh, – is it going to change anything about the pandemic? Is it going to change anything about case counts? Like 
most epidemiologists are predicting that January is going to be maybe our worst month ever from a case count standpoint, right? No. But when you factor in their vaccination rates, when you factor in the fact that Omicron is right now considered to be less severe and the fact that their age and health pretty much limit any risk with all these other things, it is unfortunate that they're testing positive and being out for a period of time, but it's not something that I think we need to react to the way we did all those months ago. No. It's a different circumstance now. It's a different environment. I think we know more than we did back then. We have treatments now that we didn't have back then. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, it's it's not it's not as dire a situation, right? But at the no. end of the day, it's still. I think the notion there's a more it's a moral question, right? It's like a lot of people have that argument of should the NBA and NFL just it doesn't matter, like play on and don't even worry about if as long as you're asymptomatic keep playing. Well, I'm yeah, we can talk about, you know, we we mentioned this last week. We can go back and forth on what the right way is to treat asymptomatic vaccinated players, whether they should sit out or at all or whether they should keep playing. I think we both agree it's probably a little premature to just be like, yeah, go yeah. for it, it's fine. But that doesn't mean we should stop the league, right? Like to me that changes the question from morality to like what is even remotely realistic and what is like the right risk reward ratio for approaching decision-making, right? And I think right now the league is looking at a pretty low risk from like a long-term viability standpoint with a pretty high impact to stopping the league that's just not worth it for them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the revenue, at the end of the day, like why would they give up this revenue? No matter who's playing, you're going to be selling tickets and there's still money rolling in. So there really is no benefit to suspending for two weeks. So I get it. There's no incentive for the league to do that. It's just interesting because the NHL actually did. So it's not like no one has done it. Um, and and I don't know why – What I, I don't know enough about hockey to know why they felt comfortable with it. But um, that that's the part that, that was surprising to me. It's like once the NHL did it, I was like, okay, there's a precedent. Other leagues could do it, but it looks like yeah. nothing's changing. Yeah, I mean it's just too – it's also too <laughs> contagious, frankly, where – and then nothing's going to change. So you pause two weeks later, everyone else is going to get it then. The thing we need to really look into is how LeBron was able to test negative so quickly. I think he was texting like <laughs> oh, 10 God. times a day. And if like two out of 10 were negative, he's like, All right, that's clear. I'm good to go. Look, LeBron is probably really careful. Um, or yeah, it's, it's similar to Brady. It's like, you know, <laughs> these guys are going to find a way to, to stay yeah. play for sure. And maybe that's our pivot to actual basketball. And LeBron should have thought long and hard about just staying on the COVID list and avoiding this Lakers season so far. Because <laughs> it's been, I don't want to say it's been an unmitigated disaster, but it has not been, you know, we, we can clown all we want about the Russ acquisition and the random vets from years past that are on this team, you know, from, you know, star laden team from 2014. But Reality is they were the number one favorites to come out of the West uh, when you look at just betting odds and pretty clear above the next team, which I think with the time was the Suns, right? So it was like Lakers, Suns, Jazz, Warriors were kind of like the top four. Three of those four have remained in contention and risen their, their stature of play. But let's start with the Lakers and in general kind of talk about the Western play-in tournament because – the Lakers were not really expected to be in this in this mix. They've had a bunch of COVID issues, a bunch of injuries that can't be discounted. And now Anthony Davis is gone for at least a month with an MCL sprain. But sitting there at 16 and 16, they're technically tied for sixth right now. 
it doesn't look anything close to what I think they envisioned. And that's even when all their guys are out there and with any sort of sort of limitate limiting factors, it's going to get ugly, I think. And we're seeing that play out, you know, game after game. So hold on. We can't say we didn't predict this because I predicted this exact scenario. Yeah. Right now, the Lakers are tied for that sixth spot with Denver. I predicted they'd be in the play-in tournament. That was one of my bold predictions. And yeah. what do you know? I, I don't think we can say that no one saw this coming. But to your point, no one really predicted, like as much as I made that prediction, no one predicted they'd be 532 games into the season. Here, here's the thing. Let me clarify. No one, everyone saw this coming from like a Russ is a terrible fit. This team is old as shit and hasn't been, you know, includes a bunch of players who haven't been relevant in five years. No one was, not enough people, let's say, had the balls to bet against LeBron and AD, which is a very fair stance to take, right? You're like, I'm never going to count those two dudes out if they're healthy and they're playing well, which you expected them to. The problem is that they haven't been healthy and they haven't been playing well when they're together. That's the piece I think that we just couldn't come around on to really hammer the, their likelihood of winning a title. True, true. And I mean, I think that the story of the season, if you think about it, everything's played out like you would have expected, except for Anthony Davis's, you know, I, I think that the faith in the Lakers still being good this year was that Russ is going to be up and down, but he's still a regular season. I mean, like, look, last night he put up 22, 10 and five. We can talk about how, you know, it could be empty stats. I don't know if that contributed any way in that 18-point Suns loss. But at the end of the day, I think the the one piece, everyone's lived up to their expectations. If anything, LeBron has exceeded expectations. Mm-hmm. The one guy who you wanted to take a leap and the concern was, was last year a fluke or was that actually a sign that he's Anthony Davis, the bubble performance was something that was fluky, right? And I think what we're seeing is that he can't carry this team. And LeBron playing this many minutes, like last night, 34 out of the 90 points. Like what? This is not sustainable. Um, And I think that is a story of the Lakers season. We can talk about DeAndre Jordan sucking. We knew that. Trevor Ariza, like freaking all these guys, Malik Monk, Taylor Horton Tucker, like hyped for like he had such a bad game. But at the end of the day, it's like it, the faith was in LeBron and Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis has not lived up to the billing. That, that That's all it comes down to. So a couple of things that I, w- I would mention. Uh, one one of the lineups they were trotting out there last night versus um, Minnesota, uh, versus Phoenix, excuse me, was, was really – it was almost like uh, NBA Mad Libs. It was um, Isaiah Thomas, Russell Westbrook, Trevor Ariza, Rajon Rondo, and uh, – <laughs> And uh, who was it? It was either and Taylor Horton Tucker. That was their five man lineup. They were getting blitzed, as you could imagine. At this point, LeBron was just taking like a two minute rest be- between like assaulting the rim. And Carmelo had been thrown out. AD was out. Dwight was out. None, you know, Monk. Those guys were out. I think Bradley was out. It was. I I, I know they've had losses, but my God, like at least other teams who are in this position are putting out anyone that has like a pulse, like kind of in their legs still. And these guys were totally washed. Um, You know, the one thing that I always find weird is people talk about AD being a fluke in the bubble, but he was only a fluke as it related to like outside shooting percentage. 
AD's been dominant his entire career. He puts up 28 and 12 like yearly in New Orleans, comes to LA, still performs really well next to LeBron, has a pretty amazing bubble run, yes, but I don't understand the notion of people saying that that was fluky aside from shooting proficiency. Everything else is pretty much in line and in some ways a step down from just total career productivity. So where do you think that comes from? Fluky as in, I don't know, I, I think he was always a decent shooter, right? And it seemed like the bubble, he finally figured it out. And it's also in the context of playing with LeBron. Like now that AD's playing with a guy like LeBron, the spacing is better, he gets better looks. The the thought was that that would carry. And this is the version of AD we're going to see for the you know next couple of years in this prime. But we didn't see that, despite yeah. being on the same Lakers team, right? So I think that's why that's fluky. Um, to your point, yes, like he's still relatively the same guy in a lot of ways. But I mean, you can't look at him this season and tell me that this is the New Orleans Anthony Davis. Like his li- dude, he's not even getting the lift. Like I don't no, know, just, no, no. I have nothing not. to back this up with data. But like you watch these games, and he's getting like out rebounded. He totally. doesn't have yeah. the same lift he used to have. He can't run the floor like he used to. He looks like lumbering. It's weird. No, I totally agree. I didn't even mean that he's not playing well this year. That Anybody who watches the Lakers, it looks like you're like begging him to play basketball. That's what he looks like on the floor. My question was, it's not the bubble necessarily that was fluky. I mean, he's been great his whole career, and now it's this weird downturn in what should be his prime, which doesn't really make any sense. Like, he's 28 years old. He literally looks like he's 37. He looks – if you, you know, if you just – showed a new basketball fan for the first time who you thought was older, LeBron or AD, and let them watch a Lakers game. I mean, AD's sitting here, like, cramping up every play, hurting his knee every other play. LeBron is still doing his, like, tomahawk, like, dunks through the lane. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, LeBron is turning 29 and AD's turning 48. And you're like, nope, it's actually closer to the reverse. So I don't know what's going on with him, but what I think this really spells for the Lakers is a bit of – imminent disaster whenever LeBron decides to either hang it up or whenever we see his final kind of graceful kind of decline, you know? Yeah. And, you know, to I've always defended LeBron's team building. You know, everyone always says, oh, the GM, and he brings this upon his own teams with, you know, the Cavs contracts. Obviously, this Lakers team had his fingerprints. I never blamed him for the past decisions. I think this year was very egregiously kind of on him. Because it was his call. I mean, whether whatever they say publicly, it was his call to to bring in Westbrook, his call to bring in Carmelo and these vets. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at the end of the day, he's got to you reap what you sow, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll see if they can get it together. But without AD for a month and with their t- schedule finally stopping, you know, only G League tour that they've been on, they're going to end up piling up some losses here. I think, uh, you know. Even a game like Phoenix, it was never really close after the first quarter. Phoenix just couldn't hit shit, and they still blew them out. And that's yep. indicative of the different levels of roster that these teams are on right now. So, so what do you, what do you think about the report that the Lakers are active in the trade market? Um, what are you going to be <laughs> given that with? they don't really have any assets? Yeah, I mean, like the thing about trades, right, is you have to have salaries and you have to have prospects. They don't have either because they have three guys on max super max deals two of which they'll never trade uh lebron and ad and one of whom isn't isn't going to be traded for which is russ the only guy that really 
makes anything that's not a vet min, and those three are is Taylor Horton Tucker, who, twenty one year old, you know, he's got some versatility, whatever, but he's also not exactly lighting up the screen right now, shooting twenty four percent from three. So, no prospects, no salaries. Tell him you tell me what trades out there for him. Can they go well, get that, that's Jeremy what's funny, Grant? Right? It's funny reading those reports. I'm like, I don't know what there, what move there is for them. Right, you have to. So a team like Detroit, who's five and twenty-five, low-key horrible. Um, you could argue that they're they should move on from Grant. He doesn't make any sense on that roster, and they're you know destined for per, you know just like uh, the dungeon for a long time. You could argue that they see Taylor Horton Tucker as more valuable to their forward plan than Grant, which I would agree with. But can't they go get a better prospect than THD if they're going to get put Grant on the table? Like somebody out there has got to be more attractive to them. So I just see the Lakers losing out on a lot of these deals by virtue of not having even close to the best offer on the table. True, but what what salaries will they even cobble so, together? So so for example, Grant makes twenty million. Yeah, Tucker makes eleven or ten or something like that. Tucker you could, makes. Well, he signed. Remember, he signed that three for thirty. Oh, they gave him I the totally MLE. Forgot about that. Yeah, they yeah. gave him the MLE over Caruso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have they have Horton Tucker, and they could throw in, you know, uh, Malik Monk. I think is on a five million dollar deal, five, so okay. they could throw. Yeah, you can yeah. get there, or none. One of the two. I can't remember which one, but like you can get there. But then you also kind of wanted to keep those guys, right? You signed them for a reason. Is Jeremy Grant gonna immediately come erase everything? And also, is Jeremy Grant a positional overlap with? LeBron the way Kuzma yeah. was and you have the it's same an issue. fit right so I mean hearing them in the Ben Simmons discussions it's like okay I guess if Rich Paul is commissioner of the NBA that can happen but short of that <laughs> I don't know how we're getting there on that one I don't even know how that'll help them to be honest probably um, wouldn't at all um but let's keep it moving down the the rest of the play in tournament so you have basically you have um just got the standings up you have the Lakers are at six technically right um, they are 16 and 16. The Clippers are 16 and 15. They're playing right now versus your Kings and it's close, but let's assume they win. Nuggets are 500. Mavericks are 500. Timberwolves are game under 500 and the Kings are six games under 500. So three of these, I would say of these four teams or five teams, the Lakers, Mavericks and Nuggets are woefully underachieving from what people expected and what they, what the internal expectations were. All three of those teams had thoughts about a deep playoff run in the West. Now the Timberwolves are kind of in the happy to be their camp. And I'd say the Kings, if they win a few more games are going to end up in the happy to be their camp too, because they're being competitive, which is something both of those franchises haven't been in a long time. So what are your takeaways in this group of five? Like we could start with the Timberwolves Kings combo, or we can start up top with the with the three underachievers. I mean, I think you gotta start with Dallas. Um it's Dallas, ugly. It's, it's, it's so ugly. ugly. So offensively, they've fallen off. They are not the same team they were. Like, you know, if anything, Dallas was always one of those in that five to seven seed the last couple of years, but they were always an offensive juggernaut, right? Like always like two years ago, remember they kind of were setting historic yeah. Records without good their offenses, yep. And I don't know. I don't know if it's a kid thing. I don't know if it's just a personnel thing. But their offense has fallen off completely, um, and they have not looked. They're one of those teams that I just have not heard anything about because they're kind of they're not terrible, um, but they haven't lit the world on fire either. And they've kind of been hovering around five hundred all season. 
And and obviously the reports about Luca's uh, conditioning and this and that. And I'm just wondering what <laughs> what do they what do? What do they do from here? And are they active at the trade deadline? Is there still a move they can make with KP? What let where, me just what say, is this team doing? <laughs> let me just say, going from uh going from Rick Carlisle to Jason Kidd. Uh, 15 spot drop in offensive rating. Color me shocked. Um, yeah. Anybody could have seen that one coming. Now, they have improved defensively, but their net rating is flat. It's 0.0. They're basically mediocre in every yeah, way you could. they're 500 team, exactly. The, the, and the worst part about it is they're so hard to watch because they just look like they're stuck in mud. Um, and that's when Luca's playing. When he's not playing, it's even worse. And granted, KP has played better this season than I think people were anticipating um but then again he played well last year too in the regular season he just had a tough playoff so he's been a little bit better the, the problem i think i see right now is they've built this lucas centric team to such an extreme that when he's not playing mvp basketball it doesn't really work um and i think one of the things people took for granted in houston which is another team that played a very one per player centric offense is harden was like otherworldly every year um and you can see actually right now in brooklyn when he's not how bad that team looks when it's Harden centric ball right when katie's on the bench and harden's doing his thing and he can't get to his spots he can't mm-hmm. make his shots you see how ugly it is that is exactly what's going on in dallas except it's happening like all the time and i don't know man like in terms of trades, Tim Hardaway's out there, but he's on a new big contract, I mean, not playing he's, well. And he's had a bad season. Like he's yeah. had his worst season in at least five or six years. Yeah, like shooting thirty three percent from three. You know, like that's kind of what they brought him in for. Brunson's been solid, but again, if Brunson's your third best player, that's problematic. Brunson's a guy. I mean, he's good, but like, you know, he's a good. Yeah, he's a good bench undersized guy. backup guards, or not even backup. But he plays a good amount of minutes, but he's going to get toasted not, in the playoffs. Um, which is a problem now, you know, Luca's still 22. There's a lot of options long-term, but as it relates to the immediate future, they're in a lot of trouble. Um, Dallas, for whatever reason, has continually failed at recruiting free agents. We've known this, this is dated back to the Dirk era, right? Um, it hasn't changed with Luca, which is surprising a little bit to me, just given his talent and, you know, his accomplishments at the age that he is. But, you know, maybe there's just not a lot of guys who love to play that brand of basketball, which is just watch him do everything and you stand there in the corner and wait your turn. You have to get guys like Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleber. They're the only ones who are willing to play next to him. So there's an element of that. I just think that right now they're in a tough spot because they're capped out. Um, and KP and Tim Hardaway, which are their second and third biggest contracts, are – borderline untradeable right now yeah so but i mean so dallas i mean dallas i don't even care about denver because denver look we know the story with denver it's hard to watch them too undermanned it's a it's the Jokic show and he's gonna continue to put up like astounding numbers but that can only carry you so far minnesota is interesting because minnesota i think like what is the argument for Minnesota not pulling the trigger on a Simmons deal? Like, I think Minnesota and Sacramento are so similar in the way that these teams are desperate to just be relevant and make the playoffs. And that yeah. itself is a big success. And so 
And both these teams have the assets to pull off a Simmons trade. And both these teams would benefit from a Simmons trade. So it's funny because I see a lot of parallels between both of them. And Minnesota is another team that outside of that one year with Jimmy Butler where they made the playoffs, they haven't made the playoffs in the same kind of time frame as the Sacramento Kings, right? So I, to me, one of these teams, and I don't know how I feel about the Kings getting Simmons. I'm still not totally yeah, sure, well, but one of these teams needs to pull the trigger. So Minnesota's from the jump been very interested in Simmons. The question is just whether there is a zone of potential agreement or as the kids say Zopa between the Timberwolves and the Sixers. The Timberwolves would absolutely do a package based around D'Angelo Russell, whether that's with Michael uh, uh, Malik Beasley, you know, other players, Vanderbilt even. Vanderbilt. Right? They'd pro- yeah, Beasley, they'd yeah, probably be willing to move him. him. I don't think that Maury's looking at Beasley and Rant and Russell as the answer to the Sixers problems. Um, and so he's been so stubborn about who they're getting at the top end that he has not been going for this like strength in numbers type approach to these Simmons packages, which when you look at how well Embiid's playing and the way the Sixers season seems to be slipping away another year that they're not going to be in title contention, he's got to take a damn hard look at him at the mirror and just say, we cannot strong arm this for much longer because we're going to waste <laughs> another year and, Embiid is what 28 29 years old so yep he can't run into a situation where like we're wasting another season of his um he's not that old he's probably like 27 28 but you know and then with with from Philly's standpoint there's no way they're gonna not ask for Anthony Edwards and he's not on the table so I I don't know where the deal is right now for them to be made yeah I mean D'Angelo Russell is the kind of guy who Maury is too smart to trade for a player like Russell right he detests He's a losing he player like. and he knows it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the problem. That key piece, I cannot see Maury taking that as like the centerpiece of a trade. No. Um and Beasley is fine. Beasley is a guy who'll get you 20, 25 every now and then, and otherwise it's like 15 on so so shooting. And that's probably also not like a difference maker when you're going up against a Brooklyn or Milwaukee or Miami. But similarly with the Kings, right? I don't think Maury sees Fox as the path to solving Philly's issues. Um, the Kings are definitely not getting rid of Halliburton right now, who I'm going to talk about as well. Um, so what team do at this point, like, like you said, like there's frust- you can sense the frustration with Embiid with that Philly team. Yeah. Doc Rivers kind of spoke out about Simmons again, right? Like it's like, they're warming up to this idea of, you know what we could, we'll take him back because they need him. So I don't think he has any interest in coming back. And I actually don't even know what the resolution was on him getting paid or not because he ended up allowing the Sixers to talk to his like mental health doctors and all this stuff. So I don't even know what the resolution of all that was, but it doesn't look like there's any world in which he is willing to play for the Sixers again, regardless of what they say. Um, and if they're not withholding payments, that's the only thing he really cares about. Did, you, did we talk about how he's in like a cash flow problem? There was that article that was published. No. Dude, he... <laughs> He buys like a new car every three months or something. <laughs> and apparently he's got like a major just operating cash flow situation is not oh great. Um, which is part of the reason he like rushed back to the facility when they put that first eight million in escrow. Um, oh my god. This is- and he's got like four homes and all this dumb shit. It's like the same thing we heard about in ninety nine when this was stuff yeah. was happening. You yeah, don't yeah, hear yeah, about like it as much anymore. Miles and stuff used to talk about how these guys would just Yeah. That's Simmons right now. I always joked about his Lamborghini Instagram pics. I didn't realize there was a new one in each one. So, <laughs> um, 
But yeah, nonetheless, I think Philly's in a really weird spot. But coming back to Minnesota, they are a team that eventually has to cash their chips in in some way for whatever chips those are, because I don't think that you can talk yourself or talk cat, frankly, into a Edwards Russell cat pairing of doing anything, but making the play in tournament. Um, as much as I like Edwards as a prospect, it's just not the right fit stylistically defensively, you know, hustle. They don't have enough passing. And so Patrick Beverly can't be your primary facilitator. And so I don't know what the move is out there for him, but, if they want Cat to stay, then they really need to think about how to reshape the roster. But more importantly, I think the move might be to cash your Cat chip in now and really restart this thing around Edwards, which is Ooh. crazy to say. Oh, interesting. I mean, yeah. look, that that's the same decision the Kings came to with DeMarcus Cousins where yep. that they came to that inflection point. Do we sign him to that huge deal or do we blow it up? And they blew it up and that hasn't worked out either. So I don't, I don't know if that's the right path, but... And look, those two players have a lot of similarities from a production standpoint with the lack of winning. Um, which no, you could, very, very similar. Very you similar. You can point to a lot of organizational flaws, but... Perennial 33-35 win team. And the with pieces them putting up 25 and 10. Like, yeah. Yeah, but they're putting up 25 and 10. And it's like, how much do you separate? We just saw this with Devin Booker and Trey Young losing players, quote unquote, that immediately became winners when you put the right pieces around them. Is that possible in Minnesota? Was it possible in Sacramento? Sure, but we just haven't seen those franchises do it. It's hard to just suddenly expect them to do it now, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, so now switching to the Kings, I think the Kings are in an interesting position where it's generally regarded that they have assets. They have, you know, Buddy Heald is a desired asset across the league. Harrison Barnes, desired asset. Fox, Halliburton, and Mitchell, regardless of your opinions on them, they all have value. For and sure. That, and this is a team that has been not shy about talking about their aspirations for the playoffs and, and what they want to do. And and I think Halliburton, the way he's played these last couple of games, um, and you know, twenty and ten, three straight games. I don't know what his stats are tonight. I know they're Make playing it four, huh? Make it four. Make it four games in a row. Twenty, like this guy yeah, is twenty-two and twelve right now. Seven he is turnovers, a star. Yeah. Um, and it's it's he's one of those guys where I can't explain it, but if you watch him, he just he makes all the right decisions on the floor. It's not just empty stats and empty numbers, and so. I think the Kings are reaching an inflection point where it's like, look, this roster of Buddy and Fox and Barnes, you've been running this back for three, four years now. One of these guys needs to move. And I think Fox is now becoming that candidate. The question is, what's Fox's value across the league? And yeah, can you get a, you know, a solid piece in return that's going to help you contend? Well, the Kings are going to be 13 and 20, right? They're going to lose tonight. And you look at it and you're like, okay, 13 and 20 with all the work that we've put into this roster, they have how many lottery picks on this team that they've taken, right? You got Fox, Bagley, Halliburton, Mitchell. Mitchell. Plus you have guys like who are high pedigree, high draft pick like a Barnes and others. But like at some point, like you said, the core has been in place for so long without any movement. They had the one year where they won 39 games and there was a lot of momentum because I think that was Fox's second year. And so it was like, holy shit, we're actually building something. Bagley's rookie year, a lot of things were moving in the direction. And they just completely went the other way. And, like, I even, you know, you watch way more Kings than I do. I watch tonight. It's just 
they seem like they're always in each other's way. There's no cohesion with the way they play, right? No, Even isn't. Halliburton, who looks as good as he is, half the time he's making these assists when he's stuck in the air because nobody's moving to where they're supposed to move. Everyone's kind of like standing around. And, you know, Heald is – I know he shot the ball poorly, but the guy doesn't even look to pass. Like he just looks to like jack him at all, at all times. And it's not a team that's playing to one – purpose one shared purpose they're all doing their own thing on the court it's like literally watching pickup basketball and to your Spot point on. they have individual value in the trade market they all are individually good players it's not working for them playing together you know how much of this falls on them versus monty mcnair versus really who we know the culprit is is vivek and how he's just not run a a well functioning organization but Everyone tries to solve the micro because you can't really solve the macro of ownership, right? We know this in Washington with the football team more than anybody, right? You can't solve for Dan Snyder being there. So you just try to get the quick fixes. The Kings are ready to go through their next series of quick fixes, I think. Yeah, and, you know, the first step was firing Luke Walton because the the franchise needed to realize that the problems don't stop there. Mm -hmm. Easy to scapegoat the coach. We have a lot of likable players on the roster, right, which makes it hard. And so it's easy to be like, oh, it's the coach. It's the coach. And every Kings fan hated Luke Walton. The moment he goes, guess what? Nothing really fundamentally changes. The, the no. style of basketball you were seeing tonight, that's how it looked like for the last two, three years, even under Walton, right? So at some point as a team, what one thing I've noticed about teams like Minnesota, teams like Sacramento, they get to that point where at that, they're at that 9 or 10 seed. And they trick themselves into thinking that fringe moves on the roster, like on yep. the edges – will push you into the into the echelon of the West, right? And so for the, the Timberwolves, that's like, look, Patrick Beverly was a great pickup, right? But Patrick Beverly is not changing anything fundamentally about your team. You know, the Kings go and get Mo Harkless. They get Tristan Thompson. Like, why are you making fringe moves just to go from, attempt to go from the ninth seat to the eighth seat? Um, and so, yeah, like I said, the Kings are in a unique position where they have assets. I just... Whether it's deals aren't coming through or whatever it is, I don't know, or, or Vivek is preventing Monty McNair from making moves, but they need to do something because this is this is not yeah. the other thing that I think those teams do to themselves, much to their detriment, is miscalculate the difference between a ten and a nine, a nine and an eight, an eight and a seven, and all the way up. It's not uh it's not uh the same measurement from one seed to the next. Yep. It is much bigger jump to be a consistent top six seed than it is to be a consistent top 10 seed. Um, and in some ways, the play-in tournament is the worst thing that could happen to these teams because it's even more reason to trust that being a 10 means that you're in the mix. You win two games, suddenly you're in the playoffs. And yep. you win one game, you know, you pull a Memphis and you say, hey, we're up 1-0 on, on Utah. Like, that's progress. We can sell that to our fans. And even a team like Memphis who – is taking leaps and bounds. We've barely touched on them this season. They look awesome this year and really good without Ja. They're still going to run into a wall at some point between where they are now and true title contention. And that is an even bigger leap than That's the one the Kings are trying to make. make. Yep. So, you know, all of this is to say is like when you're competing for 500 or a few games under 500, and like, the, like I said, the Kings are seven games under 500 now, you're nowhere. Um, and you can only like as a fan, I totally get it. Like you realize what you want to do. You want to go get the Chet Holmgrens and the Palo Bencheros and all these guys, but it just sucks to lose every night and watch your team lose every night. Yeah. And so it's kind of like this double edged sword of like, what do I want? 
long term versus what do I want to like watch tonight when I enjoy my team. You know, you want to trade these guys, but then you don't root for Fox anymore. Like that sucks in its own right. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of the big picture questions I think the Kings are gonna have to answer and they'll probably do so soon because eventually these contracts run out or these contracts near when they're re-upped and they become less valuable when you don't have team control as long. And, and the funny thing is, right, like Minnesota, Sacramento, they're in the 9 or 10 spot right now. I think the team that, one of these teams, who knows, let's say they sneak into the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other team misses it. Uh, the team that sneaks into the playoffs is going to be under this false illusion that their roster is good enough and they're not going to make much changes. The team that doesn't make it this year, like I think whether it's the Kings or the Timberwolves, both of them are going to make wholesale changes. Yep. So I actually think like in a weird way, it's better that one of these teams doesn't fall into that trap of making the playoffs and then once again retooling around the edges. And just because Minnesota knows that Cat is, you know, they only have so much time to figure out with him. And then the Kings know that if this season doesn't work, they are going to make big changes. Yeah, and I know we talked about this team last week, but the third I'd put into this little triumvirate of, of purgatory is the um, is the Pelicans. Yep. And they, of course, still have the youngest and potentially the best player of this three-team roster set up, which is Zion. But we don't know what his career is going to bring to us both this year as well as long-term. And so they're in another position of making some really big choices um, in the near future. It doesn't mean trading Zion. It could mean trading Brandon Ingram. It could mean going the other way, flipping all those Lakers and Bucks picks for something to to supplement those two guys. I don't know what that player, who that player is, but they have a lot of decisions to make about what does their team look like when healthy and how often can they count on them being healthy. So, you know, most of the teams in the NBA, I really feel like for right now are spoken for in that they're either intentionally bad, they're very good, or they're trying to be good and they're just not. Yep. And the Kings and the T-Wolves are on the bottom end of that spectrum. At the top of that spectrum, you look at like the Celtics and the Sixers and the Pacers and some of these other teams that have a bunch of talent, but the results right now are cratering a little bit. They've actually achieved big-time success. You know, Sixers were the one seed last year. Celtics mm-hmm. have made several conference champions, uh, conference finals. Now they've slipped back and they're clear, you know, peg below the, the elite in the East. I'm just very curious for how the buyer and seller market, uh, you know, teams approach. Because if you're the Celtics, let's say, you know, you have Tatum and Brown who are both sub 25, awesome players, all stars. The fit feels clunky at best, like unwatchable at worst. And then you have all these other guys that, Sometimes Pritchard might pop off. Sometimes Neesmith might pop off. Sometimes it's Marcus Smart, Schroeder, Horford, Robbie Williams. You have so many dudes, but they're all Jags, right? So how do you kind of separate what to do with the long-term vision versus staying competitive and making sure those two guys are happy in the short term? Because we know, you know, the next player, we always talk about the unhappy player. Could that be Tatum? Who knows? And that's a good segue into the East plan, right? Um, Yep. Where... Some of those teams you mentioned, I mean, you have Washington and Philly kind of tied record in that sixth and seventh spot. And then Boston, Charlotte, and Toronto running out eight, nine, ten, and Atlanta sitting on the very outside. And Atlanta has been slumping hard, right? I mean, I know Trey's out now, but they've been three and seven in their last ten. Defensively, a complete train wreck. They were never a great defensive team. Yep. 
but to your point, you know, starting with Boston, because I think the Tatum one's interesting. And the shine has kind of come off of Tatum a little bit in the sense that even Bill Simmons, our own Bill Simmons, I think on his latest pod, kind of, it seems like he was kind of conceding what Tatum's ceiling might actually be. I was very surprised by his take there. And I thought it was the right take. I was. But not for Simmons, that. Right? I know, I know. Who's already, you know, anointed Mac Jones as like, you know, top, top three candidate. Or- and Tatum himself, he's like, this could be the best guy since Bird. He could be MVP level player and <laughs> first team, perennial first team all NBA. And so that was surprising to hear. I, I think with Boston, um, you have to move Jalen Brown, right? I, I don't. I, we talked about this in one of the pods. Like the two wings, gets a little overrated. Like I know Kawhi and Paul George works, but the I like the the two wings who are both kind of, you know, Jalen Brown's become more of a big time scorer. I, I don't know if your two best guys it, it, you can really build that way without all the other pieces around it. Like, and. Boston, I mean, the, the, you can talk a lot about this roster construction and, and some of the, the the issues they have in the front court, but ultimately, I think they need to move one of these guys. And you're not going to move Tatum, right? You're going to move Jalen Brown. So, what do you well, do? You think that they need to make a move, or, or what do you do if you're Boston? I, I think the part about the two wings suffers when you don't have anyone to set them up. Like, for example, let's say it was Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kyle Lowry. I think that looks a lot different than this Marcus Smart Dennis Schroeder combination. And I get it putting, I, I think you have to get like, if you're not a natural passer, you're not able to move the ball in a way that gets anyone else good shots other than yourself. And you're not able to receive the ball. If you don't have a good passer on your team in the spots that you like it. So every possession you watch Tatum, he'll catch the ball 25, 30 feet from the basket. And just literally it's like, he's fucking in the gym with drew Hanlon and nobody else is on the court and he's just working on his stuff. That's what it looks like. Um, and Jalen Brown's developed some of these bad habits too. So in a way, I do think it would help if just smart and Schroeder are like not point guards. We know this, but like anybody who can just credibly get the offense in a good position when it doesn't require them to get every shot. And I think when they're hitting, it looks unstoppable more often than not. It's an easy offense to, to actually solve. But I think these guys are just high usage. Like, even if you have Lowry setting them up, I think the ball just sticks and it does. It stops it does. moving, right? With both these they guys, have, they, and, they have some bad habits and tendencies for sure that make it hard when you have two of those guys, much less one. Exactly, and so I, I think just by the the players they've developed, and you know the funny thing about Tatum is like as good as he is, and Tatum's awesome, right? His comp coming into the NBA was Rudy Gay, and. He, yeah. I mean, he's a much better version of Rudy Gay, but in the same way that settles for a lot of mid-range, a lot of one-on-one, um, athletic, but it's the ball stops. He kind of reminds me a little bit of a I, – I don't want to – I think it reminds me a little bit of like the Orlando T-Mac where it was like a one-man show and he kind of just did everything. Now, T-Mac was a better passer, but – you know, when he was leading the league in scoring, which he did twice, it was kind of like watching this. Just fadeaways, getting to the rim sometimes, but really settling for a lot of jumpers. Ultra talented, so the numbers came easy to them, you know? But it never felt like they were getting to a higher level of playing basketball, both for themselves and really, more importantly, their teammates. And I love T-Max. So I, it's not a slight. It's more like you watch this, you're like, 
can you win a title without him making anyone better? And Kawhi did it to some extent, but Kawhi had... There was a system. There was a very... But in Toronto, I mean, he was the guy, right? Like, but but there was a system. I guess it was their point guard, Kyle. But they had Marcus All. They had all these smart players, all these good players. And in crunch time, you could rely on Kawhi for a bucket, right? Um, the upper end of the comp is Tracy McGrady, fine in Orlando. The lower end is more like a Jerry Stackhouse in Detroit, where could be, could be, you know, a lot. I mean, that's a lower end, but I mean, I think. I, I really think they need to move Jalen and you're gonna I mean Jalen is a desired asset, like as a wing. Oh yeah, you can you can get Dame Lillard with the package running. So based you on, can get yeah, so I don't know what the stubbornness is in keeping him. I think Boston I mean that's twenty four, twenty five years old. Like he is a homegrown star that they got. We've seen this for, for four years though. Like we can't keep living off of that Eastern Conference championship appearance versus LeBron. Like I feel like the Boston, Wizards kept Wall and Beal for eight years and didn't even do half of what this Celtics that, team has done. That's true. That's true. But that's different, right? This it's like a Boston problem, right? Like this is the same city that lives off that 2008 title and like the way it's talked about and the way Garnett and Allen run their the mouths. Media like tours that they're somehow are always on. Annually. Yeah, it's like they won five titles together, right? And it's like this this Tatum. We're still talking about the time he dunked on LeBron, like. I don't know. It's yeah. been four years, dude, of the same group. Like they made the conference finals in the bubble. I almost forget that that happened. Yeah, that oh, that's true. <laughs> I they got ran, They sort of ran out, got ran out of the gym by Miami, specifically Tyler yeah. Hero. But they did make the conference finals. It was weird to even think because that whole the bubble was just weird. Honestly, I just want to forget about it. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, like the trade in Washington that was initially thought of when we were. You know, we're all, I think a lot of us, I should say, are ready to move on from Beal. Bealford Brown and, you know, Beal and Tatum are boys from St. Louis, et cetera. But you look at that objectively from a Celtic standpoint, why the hell would they make that trade? Brown is younger and you could arguably say he's better. Oh, um, yeah. Th- that, that trade would, makes no sense. That would be a true lateral move. But I would argue the same of a trading for a Damian Lillard, who is a better player than Beal for sure. But I don't think he solves their problems. I think you just take a different position for your ISO scorer. So what who what kind of player should they target if you think that they should move off Jalen Brown? De'Aaron Fox. <laughs> like no. That would have worked, but the, I would love who's the guy out there that's ready to win now and also a specifically an addition that would make them better given how good Brown is already right now. Like, I mean, on I one hand, think. I was thinking, you know, let's say you went to OKC, right? And you were like, give me Josh Giddy, Give me, you know, a couple of prospects and a ton of picks. Maybe you can do something like that. But, again, OKC doesn't want to win now. And what's no. Josh Giddy going to do to the 2022 Celtics? Yeah, and you, you can't afford to set back these next couple of years because then guess what? Tatum at some point. That's what I mean. So how do you improve from Brown in a way that, the other team is also willing to give you a better player than the one you were giving back. Look, I haven't run the trade machine on all the scenarios, right? I just think Boston has, I mean, I know Danny Ainge is gone, right? It's obviously now it's Brad Stevens, but it's the same. Like, I feel like these guys just have this attachment to this roster. um, I I don't disagree. Is underperforming. And, and Tatum is like, like Brown is like, you can't get a better trade chip in the sense that he's, 
you already have a guy like that in Tatum. So he's um kind of superfluous, right? Like, but like you need to to I don't know, man. What if you did Brown to Boston? Sorry, to Philly. Simmons and Maxi to Boston. See, I like that. That would be like what team says no to that? I think Boston does just because they're definitely giving up the worst, better, best player. If you player. get Maxi as well, now you got Simmons, Maxi. Maxi reminds Tatum. me so much of the guys that we love to get hyped about, and then Maxi's like Fox. In, Yeah, yeah, no, he, 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 because young point guards who make a bunch of a lot of mistakes but get a lot of minutes will put up stats, and he, it's so clear to me that he's a good player. But this is what we went through with quickly last year for his stretch, right? Or like other young point guards when they just put up this like great stats for a period of time because they just always have the ball. And I worry yeah, I mean, that we rely on that progression too much. Dare I say it, Dennis Smith Jr. And yeah. I mean, obviously he's better than that. But like Tyrese Maxey, right? Like this year shooting thirty-seven percent from three. You're like, oh, that's that's solid. Guess what? Fox shot thirty-seven percent one year, and then what happened after that? It never came back. So exactly. Exactly, and I think there's a lot of examples if you go up and down the league's history of these point guards who blow up but then don't ever get better. And I'm not saying Maxie's in that group, but if I'm Philly, I'm looking to put him in packages now given where his trade value is versus where I think it'll settle. Absolutely. So, so. we already kind of talked Sixers, Celtics. Any any comments on Hornets, Raptors? Kind of those are the teams rounding out that play-in Yeah, I, mean, I think with the Hornets, you know, it's a little disappointing that they got off to a good start. They've been just mashed by COVID issues. So it's hard to take them kind of at face value for what they are right now. Um, you know, but the, the, the thing I see with them is they have this like bonafide star in Lamella, who I think depending on how many games he ends up missing, I think will be in the all-star conversation deservedly. So yep, they have miles bridges. Who's, you know, Big time development from from last year into what he's become this year. He's cooled off a little bit, but still, you know, near twenty points a game kind of guy. They seem like a team that is very well balanced, but needs a little bit more firepower uh, offensively. And I don't mean in terms of highlights. I mean in terms of guys who like they don't have a guy who can get you twenty five. No, and that's a problem. Hayward's um, not that guy anymore. Rozier's no. up and down. Yeah, they're too many inconsistent. Like Lamelo can do it if he's hitting his threes, but if he's not, like you know, watch out. Same with Bridges, right? It's like Bridges getting twenty five, thirty points yeah. happens. It's happened more this year, but it's never something you can count on. So I see them getting outgunned in basically every playoff series versus a team that has someone who can do that. And that guy doesn't sit on their roster today, to my you know, based on what I think. So. I don't know where they're going to go from here. Like, how do you go get that player in Charlotte? Maybe it's book night, but. Yeah, but I think this is one of the scenarios where LaMelo has blossomed into a superstar might be. I don't know if he's superstar, but I he think is he's a star, a, bonafide his, star. Yeah, his ceiling to me is a multi-time all-star couple on NBAs, which and is great, by the that way. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think the way you look at the rest of the season is, look, whatever, I don't think you – they're gonna stress out, panic, whatever. You go into, the, you're happy knowing you have something real in Lamelo, and then next offseason you figure out, okay, how do you need to build this team to accommodate that? So, this season to me, you know, they're gonna be, they'll be right around here, they'll flame out, but because of Lamelo, their future is a lot brighter than some of these other teams. 
I think the trade to make if they can do it is really to try to get a little bit more rim rim protection. Oh, and that is and, like an understatement. And, like they are yeah. just lacking. And it's something with Indiana, who's another one of the teams we talked about where they're just total mess. Yeah. Um have a ton of talent. But if there's a way they can move Hayward and get a uh, Sabonis or Turner. Turner. I think you look long and hard at something like that. And it resets I mean, your clock a little bit and aligns your your sort of your the timings of your, your you, the ages of your players, I should say. Yeah, but yeah, every team wants to trade with the Pacers. Like I, Sabonis and Turner are such good pieces. It's just that the, I'll they just when fit I see a lot it. of places, and they don't make a crazy amount of money. Them plus Levert as well. They all make around. That's what I'm saying. They could package those guys and, and turn them to so many different things. But the Indiana's just notoriously resistant to making trades. Their issue is their big kind players. of what happened with Paul George, what happened with Oladipo, what happened with a lot of the guys that come there. Other than Reggie Miller, who's stuck around in Indiana? Yeah, but but we're, okay, so Sabonis so and Turner stick around. Where are you going? Right. I mean, it's almost like the the known evil is better than the unknown. Yeah, yeah, and this is a team that's, that's always been content, just kind of running it back in the playoffs every year, right? They had that crazy streak, but yeah, they're they're the sixth seed with like a tough round one loss. That's their yeah, mo. That and every year, if they're, if they're happy with that, that's fine. I mean, they haven't been in real title contention since really the Malice in the Palace, and I don't see any route for them to get there. To me, I think the the they have Chris Duarte, who's great as a rookie but yeah, also he's old. already freaking like 25 years old though yeah exactly and then they have brogdon who they can't trade because the extension everyone else on this team including tj warren i know he's coming back should be available yeah. um and it you know it's very hard to make a deal when you know it's a guy that you've invested a lot in but too many times we see players end up walking for nothing or walking for much less than you could have gotten them for because you were trigger shy um, yep. We saw that even with Toronto and Kyle Lowry this offseason, this trade deadline. We knew he was going to walk, and they didn't move him. Then they ended up getting, like, the poo-poo platter on the sign-and-trade. And so <laughs> yeah. that's it, right? Like, so, yeah. And then the only other team, Washington is obviously cratered after their fast start. Defensively has been, you know, we were top five in the league in defense to start the year, and that just didn't sustain. Yeah. They need to move Bradley Beal. Um he is due five-year, $250 million deal this offseason. I couldn't think of a less deserving player to have received the Supermax, including John Wall when he got it. So if they give this to him, I think it could be a multi-year franchise setback. Um, and I, I like Beal. I don't love him. I like him. He's just not worth $50 million a year, and especially if you don't have the better player on the roster to him because he is not a Batman. He is clearly a Robin at best. And so – if you're paying him $50 million and you don't have his counterpart on the team right now, how are you going to go get him? It's telling that, you know, with a guy like Beal, who's been loyal to the Wizards, been there for so many years, is coming off a, like what, was he All-NBA last year? Yeah, he was third All-NBA team last season. Year. You'd expect more Wizards fans to still be in his corner, but the fact that I feel like most Wizards fans, based on just what I've been seeing online and obviously talking to you, are kind of ready to move on from him and not ready to pay. Like that says everything. Right. And so yeah. many teams would be willing to, to take Brad Beal. Like that is a, yeah, he's going to, you have to pay him, but that's a piece that a lot of teams would look for. So I don't know, man, like when I want to look at the East. There's so many, like you look at the wizards. We talked about Sixers, Celtics, Hornets, 
uh, Raptors, Pacers, like even the Raptors, we have Siakam, who's been mentioned in trade conversations. There needs to be some kind of reshuffling of of the of the deck with with these teams. And I don't know if any of them are going to be overly aggressive, but I want to see all these guys moved. I mean, we want it as fans because it gets us excited. It's hard for these teams to. I won't. I won't blame the Wizards for being like, well, if we trade Bradley Beal, who is third-team All-NBA, what are our hopes of ever getting a player as good as him? And it's not high. It's not a guarantee. We as fans get jaded, and we're just like, fuck it. Let's just turn the whole table over. And they don't think that way, rightfully so. Now, I do think you get into a point of being way too comfortable with mediocrity um, because it allows you to keep your job, and you can keep selling the next thing and the next thing. And we're definitely seeing that happen in Washington. The Spencer Dinwiddie trade started out like an awesome move, and now he's he's kind of – I don't know what the hell is going on with him. He doesn't even shoot the ball. It's bizarre. Um, and the rest of the guys, they're nice pieces to be the eighth night, like Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Harold. They're yeah. good dudes. If they're their fifth or sixth best player, fine. But I would really think long and hard about finding homes for those dudes on playoff rosters because I think there's a world in which – the rust trade gave us a lot of ability to reshape the roster quickly, mm-hmm. which is why it's still a good deal. No matter what happens, they have to capitalize on that flexibility though. Absolutely. So um, anything else to add? Any other teams that deserve a quick shout out? Houston, nah, man. after huh? we just destroyed them, they've actually been like pretty competent. Oh, you destroyed them. I was a little higher on them and more. Yeah, I was really offended personally by having them. When they were 1-16, I didn't know <laughs> what was going on. Yeah, I mean, uh, Detroit has become that team that's it's felt like they've just bottomed out completely, and they are just absolute garbage. Hey, feels like. our boy Cade is coming around, though, stringing together some Another good one games. I was said I was not worried about. Weren't you also burying Cade's career like 10 games <laughs> Yeah, but you weren't high on Cade that high. I was always high on Cade, I, I think. You were higher on him than me. I think he's played better, and now he's starting to show why he was so ballyhooed. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the challenge, but I think what we will agree on is that he hasn't, he was treated as like this, kind of at a tier above many of the other prospects below him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're seeing that, given how Mobley's played, given how Barnes has played. Like, these guys are already looking better right so yeah thankfully jalen green is still pretty much <laughs> terrible so it gives him a little bit of air cover but jalen green is like he's been out for a while but he's coming back i think tomorrow so he's been out but like early in the season just it was ugly like five for 14 that that's just like a classic line you'd see probably not totally in, uh, coincidental that their one in sixteen stretch was when he was playing like a ton of minutes. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I'll leave it there. But all right, before signing off, we have to also mention happy birthday to the <laughs> one of the best co-hosts in the planet, Karthik, who's turning twenty eight. Is it this Friday? Um, I, yeah, yeah, twenty eight. Twenty eight, twenty yeah, six. Right. Yeah, twenty six or twenty eight. We're unclear, <laughs> but. Happy birthday, man. Christmas Eve. It's always kind of weird, right? Splitting time with with uh, Jesus, but I think you've yeah. shared that role admirably over the years. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, another year. I mean, at this point, you just lose track. So. 
another year, another Bucks injury. Um, another it's all bucks. rolling together. What's going on with you guys? Chris Godwin, Levante David, and um, Leonard Fournette now all gone. Godwin Dude, for that, the season, the other two game, for the regular season. That Saints game could not have gone worse in any way. Like, literally, not only did we get embarrassed, Brady's MVP chances may have gone down the toilet. Evans out, Fournette out, Levante missed the regular season, Godwin out for the rest of the year. Um, I feel really bad for Godwin, just given he was on the franchise tag. Yeah. I, I think the the Bucks you think the, Yeah. Just the timing of it, because he's not a guarantee now to be back for week one, you know? So if you sign him to a big deal, you're counting on him missing a little bit of time potentially next year. I think they have to pay him just out of good faith. Like, they franchise tagged him this year, and it sucks. It's a bummer. It was, you know, a lot of people were talking about whether it was a dirty hit, knee to the helmet. Where do you stand on that play? Because they can't hit high, and so it's a, if you also say you can't hit at the knee, it becomes a very No, I, I look like it's, by letter of law, you have to go low, and that's what the NFL has done by not allowing you to go high. That being said, for some reason, the Saints, if you watch, they're flying at guys' knees, like more so than any other team. Like, why does this not happen with any other team? Mm-hmm. And so I agree they didn't do anything wrong. I just think they're I, – and this is me as someone who hates the Saints, right? Like, I question sometimes the intention and the way they're coached because we know this is a team that's been in a situation with Bounty Gate where they clearly don't care, so – so I'm I'm not I I, I don't know I, I there's nothing you can do about it like I don't know how the NFL solves for this but yeah. you, a lot of those hits in that game were fine legal but still unnecessary and I think both can be true yeah and I think the Saints always come out with a little bit of extra you know extra something for the box whenever those two they do I, look teams, I have never right seen era. a team live in another team's head. You know, we, you know, that's one of your favorite phrases. You always be like, I'm in your head. I'm living rent free. All this. No team has ever lived in a team's head better than the Saints over the Bucks. Like, it's. Well, that's a crazy thing, though, because then the Bucks went out and beat him in the playoffs. And, like, I just think about that Jared Cook fumble. If it didn't happen, maybe the Saints hold yeah, on. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a little bit of luck involved, right? Like, and then you're I mean, talking 5 and 0 in the Brady tenure, which is a yeah. lot, a lot, a lot of like, losses for him to be piling up against one team. It's like, it's like one thing for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers to own the Bears, right? And, like, own them for several years. But yeah. when the Bucks and the Super Bowl kind of caliber team are getting waxed, Every single game by the Saints, it's it's interesting, and they the might play in the playoffs of, again. It's like a I was very just real. About to, I was just about to say the odds of a playoff matchup are not crazy, but if you're the Bucks, you're probably going to finish, I think, two or three. It looks like, right, depending on what happens. The the Cardinals and the Cowboys play, which is a massive game just in terms of seeding. Bucks have a cake schedule. Packers probably also going to. Packers have out. locked up the one seed as long as they don't lose two. Too, yeah, yeah. because they're they're gonna win the tiebreak over if everyone ties, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but they have one hard game this week. I think Cleveland at Cleveland. Oh no, they're home against Cleveland, so that'll be a win. Yeah, is that a hard game? Eh, Home versus Minnesota, and then at Detroit. So they should probably finish up three and zero. Also, that means the Bucks are looking at thirteen and four. That I think that's gonna get the two seed unless the Cardinals or the Cowboys run the table. I just don't see both of those teams doing that. They're two or three. The two matters a lot because if you're the two seed, you play one of the, it'll be like the Saints or the Vikings or whatever. Yeah. 
three seed means it's either the Rams or Niners. Um, well, the Rams could run the table too. They're ten and four, but I think they play the 49ers, and the 49ers are rolling right now. So, so that's going to so be the tough matchup. It could be Rams, Niners, or Cardinals. Um, and Cardinals haven't looked great, but those three teams are in a different tier than Vikings, Saints, Eagles. I don't know. Eagles, Who else yeah. is contention for that seven seed, right? So yeah, I think that two Eagles seed, that, all of a sudden the race is going to be about that two seed. So we'll I see. saw a crazy stat, though, about the Eagles. Over the last eight games, they've scored on 53% of their drives. To put that into context, the 07 Patriots, the 18-0 Patriots, scored on 53% of their drives. That's insane. Granted, that's touchdowns, field goals. It doesn't account for that, which one's which. But Yeah, and, and the Eagles have fewer drives because they run it so much that it's – but yeah. still, it's still an impressive stat. Really bizarre turnaround because they had a game earlier against the Cowboys where Miles Sanders had like one carry or two yeah. carries. Yeah, so yeah. figured something out. Anyway, have a great birthday, man. Enjoy it. Enjoy the weekend. I hope everyone has an awesome Christmas and uh, – We'll figure out what next week's plan is, but if we don't come back to you next week, we'll do so after the new year. Five days on five games on Christmas, as always. Uh, we have no idea who's going to play in those games, and the NBA is even left in the contingency to change the teams based on availability. But <laughs> yeah. hopefully, it's as it's as complete of rosters as we can uh, hope at this time. Um, yeah, man. I mean, appreciate the wishes. Enjoy the holidays. Um, get better. And yeah, uh, I got to come off the COVID list soon. Neat. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, you got to get off that list, get back on. Really, really questioning the validity of these at-home tests, man, because I was negative twice while symptomatic uh, at using the at-home test. So I'm not I've really heard that sure. story from other people too, right? Where it's like you take it and then you get another test and you're like, wait, I'm not actually negative, I'm positive. So we had to actually blow one today just to use it. I knew I was positive, obviously just to confirm that this thing even worked, yeah. right? Because if it showed negative, then you definitely have to never use that brand again. But thankfully, at least it had the positive signs. You're like, yeah. okay, for this instance, it seems to be in place. Yeah. But, all right, please rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on social, Thick and Thin Hoops. We will talk to you as soon as possible. Everyone have a great one out there, and, and uh, stay safe and enjoy the basketball that's coming your way. Peace.